because it's a great honour to be asked to speak at the missionary weekend here at Brickside because uh, VISPA, Friends of VISPA isn't really a classic missionary organisation. You know, we, we partner with an organisation in Kenya, as you know. Uh, we're very small compared to those other missionary organisations. So it's, it's grateful, I'm grateful to be asked and it's lovely to share. I'd also like to thank so many of you who do support the work of VISPA. Um, your work changes lives, it's wonderful. It's been a real blessing, a real partnership to the church and to the community in Kenya. Our work in Kenya is a very specific work. It's a work to a community that's extremely poor. The work that we do is largely around the banks of Lake Victoria in Kusumu, which is in Western Kenya. It's one of the poorest regions of Kenya, and it's a work that's been run by Helen and George O'Cheng since the mid-90s when the HIV crisis created two million orphans in Kenya. It's a very poor area. The average income in that area is $2 a day for families, $2 a day, which is hard to fathom, isn't it? Hard to understand that people nowadays, and we go over and visit that community in Kenya and see people living in mud huts with no electricity, no water, no food, no really steady income stream, no government support. Um, it's shocking, to be honest, that's eight hours away on the plane journey. Um, we should, I always think we shouldn't be in Kenya. You know, Kenya is a, a viable country. It's just very corrupt government, very badly run government, very selfish government. And it's also, and this is not for today, but useful to know, Kenya has only been independent since 1963, you know. And the problems that we encounter in Kenya, they're generational. You know, they're hundreds of years of poverty. And it's interesting to know that if you want to know who was in charge of Kenya before 1963, it was us. It was Great Britain. That's something for another day. But um, you know, the, the 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 tea you drink most days might be from Kenya. The coffee you drink might be from Kenya. The flowers that you probably buy in Marks and Spencers, probably from Kenya. Cut cut flowers and vegetables are one of the biggest exports from Kenya, and yet millions of people in Kenya live on two dollars a day. It's a very unfair society. So, that sign there, which I thought it up. Am I hitting that wrong? That there. Is that not working? Is that not working? Yeah. The motto of Kenya is, in God we trust. In God we, the motto of Vispa, in God we trust. That psalm that Nicola read, one four six. I'm going to refer to some biblical basis for her work just for the next first 10 minutes or so. Then I'm going to share, that's why we do the work, and then I'll share some of the work that goes on in Vispa, and then I'll share some thoughts. And there, these are some of my thoughts. We've been going out there now for 16 years or so, and just some of my thoughts on what the work is and what, what things oppose the work, both internally and externally. That psalm's a great psalm. You know, it's called in your Bible, you, you see it's called, Put Not Your Trust in Princes. Um, verse 3, Put Not Your Trust in Princes, in the Son of Man in whom there is no salvation. Kenya, that, that community in Kenya we go to, it's been let down by man. It's been let down by governments. It's been let down by business. Uh, it's discarded. It feels disenfranchised. There's no support for it. It knows that man and trusting in man has not worked for them. But you can understand from the characteristics of God that are described in the rest of this psalm 
why their motto is, we trust in God, and God we trust. That psalm there, when you look at it from verse 7 to verse 9, it describes characteristics of God. Characteristics of God. Let's read them. This is God the Father. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. This is what he does. He executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. He loves the righteous. Verse 9, the Lord watches over the sojourners, which is refugees in modern language. The Lord watches over the refugees. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But contrastingly, the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. If I was to give you a piece of paper tonight and ask you before you come in tonight to describe God, describe the characteristics of God, I doubt you'd have written those qualities. I doubt you would. I doubt I would. But I understand why the people in Kenya love those qualities because it's relevant to them. They're hungry. They feel oppressed. You see poverty. You see that depth of poverty in $2 a day. It's oppressive. It sucks the energy out of communities, children, families. It sucks the ambition out of them. It sucks the hope out of them. Um, it, you really realize it's an evil. Poverty is an evil. It creates loneliness. It creates despair. When I'm speaking to those older girls and fellas in Kenya, they describe themselves as invisible. We're irrelevant. They think that the life we live is hap you know, it's happening. It's ambitious. It's going somewhere. But their life's invisible. We're going nowhere. So as a church, when you see community like that, severe poverty, as a church, our response to that should be what? Well, our response should be that we should have the characteristics of God as a church. So we, we should be longing to share the characteristics that are described in that psalm, shouldn't we? We should be people who want to execute justice for the oppressed. The oppressed are that community in poverty. We know that that's what people need. In any walk of life, whatever their circumstances, I know you know their biggest need is Christ. Their biggest need is to know God and to understand God. But it is extremely difficult to have a fair awareness of God when you're living in those circumstances. When you can't feed your children, you can't clothe your children, your children or children are left destitute to look after themselves. Where is God? The chap this morning from Mission Africa made a good point. He said that sometimes they're so distracted by these things they can't think about God. You see, when, when the Lord came to earth, I think it's a wonderful thing if you could turn to it. The Lord's first reading. The Lord's first reading. If you turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 17. That's when Christ came to earth. When Christ came to And I, I think... I always don't understand this, but I imagine the Son of God coming to earth, his first reading of Scripture, his first reading of Scripture is described in Luke 4, verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So this is in Isaiah 61. So he's, the Lord would have taken that scroll and rolled it for quite a bit to get to this passage. This is the passage he identified as his first reading when he came to earth. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim good news 
to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are, listen to this, oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Sometimes where there's a danger, we're so reformed, we think everything's a spiritual oppression. Do you understand that? We think everything's a spiritual oppression. That's not what the Lord's talking about there. That's not what Psalm 146 is talking about there. It's talking about a physical, material oppression. It's talking about people feeling oppressed, downtrodden, people who are in poverty. Can I turn, ask you to turn to 1 John 3, 17 and 18, please? 1 John 3, 17 to 18. The first time we went over to Kenya, we, we held a mission. And it was very good. But that day, while we were speaking, I saw two children handed, and there's nothing wrong with us, but two children were handed a piece of bread. And they ate a piece of it ravenously, and they put another piece in their wee pocket of their, of their shorts. And I asked him what was that for, and he said they're taking it home to their younger brothers and sisters. But they ate the first piece ravenously, and it really stuck with me. And when we preached, it was good, there was nothing wrong with it, but when we came home, this was my daily reading, we came home the next morning, and it really spoke to me as if the Lord was speaking to me. 1 John 3, 16 to 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Isn't that quite strong words, isn't it? And that's John. James said it too. James said it. Faith, faith without action is dead. He said it's dead. And I knew a couple of things from that reading. I knew we had to go back to Kenya, but I also knew we wouldn't preach again without providing material support because it, it's wrong it felt wrong to me to preach and not provide material support in that community preaching alone without material support and being aware of it that passage in the Psalms that passage in Isaiah if we have to know God and the characteristics of God we have to be aware of who's oppressed do you understand if the Lord's saying we look after, he looks after the oppressed we have to have sensitivity to the oppressed. We can't ignore them. It's certainly wrong. And it's one of the biggest oppositions I hear here. They just need the gospel. My goodness, you need to be careful with people that say that. They just need the gospel. Because it's not in the Bible. They need the gospel. They need material help. How can you, how can you preach alone to somebody that's hungry and not provide material help? So what Vespa do, what friends of Vespa do, is do both. Do both. Material help without coming in the name of the Lord, without explaining the gospel and putting gospel front and centre is wrong too. But presenting the gospel without evidence, evidence of a faithful God. Because what struck me, that Psalm 146, the people in Kenya know that Psalm inside out. They know when it's saying that the Lord looks after the widow and the fatherless. It's quite hard for those people to go home hungry, hungry, leaking roofs, leaking walls. Their government doesn't stand for them, can't stand them. The government discard them. 
The church can't. Because you see, if we're obedient to the word of God, if the word of God is alive and true, then they need to see evidence of it. If we believe that, we believe those readings I've read from Isaiah, from the Psalms, from 1 John, they have to see evidence of it. I think that's so important. You know, I always imagine when the Lord, when the apostles were finding their feet in their faith, and the Lord's teaching, and they remembered it by the Holy Spirit, they remembered it and recorded it. The one thing they did remember of the Lord was that he died. His actions, his actions and his words went hand in hand. It wasn't just words. I always think the apostles, you see those scrolls that the apostles wrote and were saved and maintained and treasured by the church. They were treasured by the church not just because of the words in them, but because of the life of the apostles. The apostles lived and suffered and died for their faith. I always imagine those scrolls were treasured because of the life of the apostles. Our actions, our life, and this is the challenge, the big challenge to me, our life has to support our words. Our life has to support our words. Faith without action is wrong. And it's not a defense to say I'm not aware. Because if we say we're godly people, we should have the characteristics of God. And the characteristics of God is to look out for, know about who's oppressed in this world, who's hungry, who's suffering, and be part of his work, for this is the Lord's work. So in God we trust. I can understand why that's the motto of Vispa. In God we trust. I know I might repeat myself a wee bit um, of a habit of doing that, as my children tell me every day, but Helen with a lovely hat and George, or he formed Vispa. Vispa formed by an HIV crisis in the 90s in Kenya. Mothers and fathers were wiped out and grandmothers and fathers were wiped out or died. And one morning, a 14-year-old uh, girl and her three younger siblings arrived at Helen's house, no support structure, and asked could they stay for breakfast. Helen was working in the bank in Kenya. George was a teacher, but they were known as godly people. The three stayed for, the four stayed for breakfast, stayed for lunch, and just didn't go home. Within three months or so, 25 children had made their way to Helen's house. Same circumstances, no support structure, hungry, destitute really. Helen thought, right, Lord's speaking to me here. I'm going to set up a school, an orphanage and a school. I'm going to bring these children to my home, which she did. Um, that was the start of Vispa. She left her work. She got a loan to put up a tin shed in her house, in her garden, and she started educating the children. That was in the mid-90s. That, that's now the complex in Vispa. That at the very top there, is there a pointer in this? No. There. I always wanted to do that, you know. That. <laughs> <laughs> so, I've got somebody's eye out, but I always wanted to do that. We bought that site there with Helen. It's very funny, you know, you're so ignorant and green. Um, and this is how I know this is all of the Lord, you know. This, this is the main Nairobi uh, road here, Nairobi to Kasumi Road, a, a really crazy main road. But this is right beside it, okay, and it's six acres. And this was free, it was on the market. We looked at land up around here and it was no use, but this was a lovely flat site. 
And that's because we, we felt the Lord, when we partnered with, with Vispa, it began to grow a wee bit, and we listened to what its needs were, and this was how to expand it, um, to give children future and a hope. And, and to, but I, I just see it as evidence that God is blessing them. That said, I remember we went to visit the landowners and sent to Helen, you go yourself for if they see me, and uh, Alison was over too, uh, they'll, they'll put the price up, and Helen just started to laugh, and says, look, they know I have no money, you better come with us, but they'll not listen to me. There's four, that land was parceled like that there. Everybody told us, the wee lawyer says they'll not agree to sell it, they'll not agree a common price, for they'll argue over it. They agreed it within half an hour, and we were able to get that land. We, we employed an architect from Nairobi to do a site plan for it, and she designed it like this. This was in 2010. Six-acre site, and she designed it just like that. And I remember taking those plans home, and honestly thinking that'll never happen. You know, I'll just never see the light of day of that. Because it's too grand, it's too um, ambitious, for want of a better word. But the Lord, if, you, if I'm looking back at this now, I just see the Lord has been a, a wonderful... I ju I, there's no explanation for it. That was first built in 2010 because the primary school, which was down the road, down about here somewhere, was just 10 shacks. But there was 200 children at the primary school. But there no high school, so they, no, they, they couldn't get out of that cycle of poverty. So the high school, that was built in 2010. Okay. I, I'll describe later why we grew. This is the dormitory, girls' dormitory at the back. This is a, a chicken house here and here. Okay. Now that, 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 sorry, that's a wee nursery here, and this is the chicken house now. Okay. Um, that's a wee polytunnel. Polytunnel's there. Okay. Um, water well, the well here. That, uh, and then the primary school, new primary school here. Football pitch here. Of sorts. Shuggy doesn't like me calling it a football pitch. It's more like a, a field. But um, all signs, wonderful signs of the Lord's blessing. And the reason for all that infrastructure is that these children, you'll all have children, grandchildren, others who have been doing their exams this year. I know we have quoted that to our children, that phrase from Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future. That's a wee boy from the school, Moses. That wee boy was found in a rubbish dump years ago. Uh, the police brought him to Helen, and now he's a vibrant, intelligent wee boy at school. But the, the thing about the, the um, children in Kenya, we have to have the same aspiration. They're allowed the same aspirations as we have for our children. Okay? They're allowed the same hopes and aspirations. The weight, the oppression of poverty and the circumstances which deprive them of education, food, shelter, means they, they, they don't often have that. They don't expect it. They don't expect the same aspirations that we have. There's, a, there's another opposition I hear quite a lot from people. And I hear it quite a lot say that they don't expect the same as us. They don't expect, because of their circumstances, they're happier with less. They're happier with less. They don't expect the same as us. That, that really isn't right. It really isn't right, you know. That, that's always in my mind. If you read Matthew 7, verse 12. Matthew 7, verse 12. These are passages in Scripture I know I skim over. Matthew 7, verse 12. Where Jesus says this is the golden rule that... The law and the prophets are summed up. 
So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Now there's no, qualific there's no qualification on that. There's not certain people or people just like you or me. It's everybody. And the whole law and the prophets are summed up in that. So those children that are living in poverty, they deserve the same hopes, chances, aspirations as our children do. And our marker for that is we should expect that from them because we want, we should treat them the way we wish to be treated. Hard though it is, challenging though it is, that's a fact that's in the scripture. We're very clever at creating reasons to justify things. We're, we're very good at it. I'm good at it. Well, you can't do everything. We're not asked to do everything. We're asked to try. The Lord will do everything, but we're asked to try. Some of the work that's been going on in Vispa past wee while, um, some new things. Vispa now currently looks after in that school complex about 600 children a day. There's a nursery, there's a primary school, there's a secondary school, there's a university programme. About out of that 600, there's around maybe 150 stay in the school, dormitory, boys and girls, uh, 100 or so girls, 50. But the, the most of them come from homes. And these homes are, uh, th these are new homes that Vispa built. About two years ago, well, just, just about before COVID, we visited uh, Kenya. And I was walking around the village with Helen and this lady here. He's got a very bad limp. You can't see it here. But she had a run-down house that was really dilapidated and she was looking after, I think, six children in an area that was honestly maybe about half the length of this stage. Okay, We met the lady, a lovely, godly lady, um, and she had five, six children living in this house with her because children died, people died, the children are left, nobody looks after them. She had them. She's very bad limp. She couldn't work. Their house, there was bad flooding, Houses in that whole community would be mud, there'd be sticks and mud, and when they damaged, be flooding, the roof was damaged. Um, and a godly woman, a woman who goes to church, prays, a believer, um, but come home, I remember coming home and doing my quiet time that night and being really guilty, and it was guilty, thinking that woman's praying to the same God as me, reading the same scripture, but in a house that's, there's water coming in, the children are cold, you know, Again, this is my, where's the evidence of God there? If, if, and you see that, what I talk about these, some of these challenges, and this same principle of treat others the way we would want to be treated. You see, if we were living in these circumstances, what would we be like? What would we be like? Boys, we would be gurning, wouldn't we? Dear help us, we would be gurning, giving off, falling out. You know, giving off about the church, the, the, for they, they know we live. We don't. We, you think we don't live in plenty? We, we're rich. We're rich. And we're, we're, nobody's asking anybody to do anything dramatic, but we should be interested. Why? Because the Lord tells us to be interested. So, we spoke to Helen about the price of doing these homes, the school, and that the burden of that school is big enough. But we thought this was the right thing to do. We prayed about it. So, in the last two years, even through COVID. We were able to build 22 of these homes for widows, mostly widows, and then you put a nice finish on them. This is rare. It's rare there's a man looks after children. This man was looking after children. Usually in Kenya, it's the women do all the work. 
As the women carry the burdens, honestly it is. No, not like here, no, it's the men do everything. <laughs> but, um, so lovely, 22 or something. Now, if you ask me how that was done, I couldn't tell you. The Lord did that. And there's money raised now for another 20 homes this year, and it's starting in the month's time. Um, I think home's sacred thing, home's a precious thing. To give those, that, shall, that lady, when, she, when that last time was over, she came running over with a chicken in the box for me to take home for the church. For they know it's the church that's provided that. But isn't it lovely for them when they read that scripture, they see this is evidence of God. Evidence of God. They're not ignored, they're not invisible. It's real. Um, the Ukraine war, you, uh, Kenya import about 90% of their grain from Ukraine, believe it or not. And why that is, I don't know. They shouldn't have to do it, but they do. When the Ukraine war started, the price of maize doubled. So instead of a dollar for maybe a bag of maize and up to two dollars, families couldn't eat. They didn't eat every day. You talk about oppression. Most of this community in this bit, they call it the roadside community. They'll go out and they'll, they'll, they'll do odd jobs every day. They'll labour. They'll do a bit of cleaning, a bit of you know, carrying, a bit of selling. They'll earn their two dollars that day. They'll spend it that day. That'll be food. We bit oil for a lamp at home, you know, and they'll eat it that day and the next day starts all over again. There's no facility to save food. There's no culture of saving because they don't have it. So when the food went up, people over there were really getting it tight and starving. So again, we prayed and we thought, we'll, we'll do wee food parcels. We were able to develop a wee box of food that could keep people going for maybe three weeks or so. And Helen was able to pick the worst, the people in the community who were the worst off. So we do that food program now, and we do it maybe four times a year, so food distribution. You know, um, you're always learning. You see the Lord's Prayer. That bit, Matthew 6, verse 11. The Lord's Prayer, verse 11. Matthew 6, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And again, we have glossed over that now because how we live, that that's not really real to us. It's almost symbolic. It's almost, you know, a, a metaphor for spiritual life, isn't it? Not over there. Not over there. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a, a, a prayer that's not... And I tell you this, is a, that's not always answered because they don't get it every day. And that's something for us to think about. It really is something to think about. So, food part. The school, the pulley tunnels, um, Leonard has been a real blessing. Leonard's a man that's had a few difficulties in the past, but he's involved with the school now and he grows tomatoes, he grows kale, lovely, nutritious, and the, the school get a great crop of that. We have plans to build two more pulley tunnels, just the provision of food, stuff we take for granted. Food is, uh, and then they'll sell some of that. Vispa, the work of Vispa, when you become three years old, we'll try and get you into nursery, okay? And Helen, that's Mama Pamela. They'll try and get into nursery. If you get to nursery, you get a big meal every day, okay? You get access to the nurse, and you get a lovely uniform. You see that lovely uniform? You know what that means in Kenya? It means you're, you belong. You're going somewhere. There's a plan for your life. Do you know, a school uniform means so much in Kenya. It's not everybody gets it, and it's not everybody gets it in the community that's supportive. So getting into nursery is so important. 
God's provision again, when you get to five years old, you go to primary school. Now we have about 360 pupils at primary school. We've got 120 in nursery, about 360 in primary. That, when we go back to that big map at the start, we moved the primary school up two kilometres up to the main site, so all the resources would be in the one place. We did, we did a design in the area that was there at the front of the school, but we built the classrooms as big as we could in that design. This is all pre-COVID. And a few years ago, Helen was telling me that the desks and chairs that the boys made, some of the boys made, Ian and Trevor made desks and chairs, but they're very sore in desks and chairs. We got these here uh, standalone desks made of this hard plastic. Because most studies would tell you to educate in Kenya, it's better going away from that group desk where boys are nudging each other and carrying on. It's better a single desk where they can concentrate a bit better. This is all pre-COVID. That was all in place about three months and then COVID struck. Everybody was sent home. When the schools opened up again after about seven months, because our classrooms were so big and those individual desks, the government actually came to Vispa and said, could we bring some of our pupils into your school? Because our schools are too crowded, which we could accommodate. That also meant fees were coming into the school, so the school was more sustainable. But the Lord's hand on that was uh, great foresight. Um, and the provision that the Lord's hand was there is wonderful to see. From, from 15, you go to high school. High school is very important. High school is your gateway to get to college, to get a decent job, to get a wee bit of income. Uh, if you don't get to high school or you don't get a, out into college or something, it's tough enough. It's tough enough environment. You know, you're going to labour in jobs. The girls usually come home. I'll mention girls in a wee minute. They usually come home. Um, they sort of disappear. Particularly the girls, they sort of disappear. You don't see them. You'll see the fellas who'll maybe get a job labouring or working and they'll appear. Girls get a harder, harder life, particularly in Kenya, particularly in, in, in Sub-Saharan Africa. That was a picture taken of um, graduates going to college the first time there's graduates. That's gone back to 2012, I think. And I love this Helen idea to get them suitcases. You know, they were going places. I just loved that. Uh, you see when those lads appeared that first day, and I, some of it will remember, there's two girls there, there and there. But when the lads appeared, they were so dignified, you know, that they had their best clothes on that they would have got from somewhere specially. But they were, they're so dignified and they're so, in the right sense, proud that they were progressing through life. Real role models. But every year with these pictures taken, and it was lovely, these lads were getting to college. But you notice there's only, there's only two girls here, and that's actually Helen's daughter and Viv. The girls are doing great in high school but they failed their last exams and didn't get to college, okay? So we asked why that was. Um, because those girls, this is what usually happens, and this is what happened a lot in COVID. Those girls are seen as uh, when they have sanitation issues through the, through the year, they'll stay at home for a week. At night time, they don't have oil in their lamps at home to study. They can only study during the day. Some of them because of those various social issues of a real lack of confidence. They, they don't, the, the thought of going to university and leaving home and leaving their home structure is so difficult for them. Some would even fail exams deliberately, so they'll not be put in that social awkward situation. So most 
studies have said that the best way to do that for girls' education to improve it is a dormitory. I was very slow on the uptake. You know, uh, when I asked the girl, why is there not more girls going to college, this is what they tell you. This is what Helen told me. Um, so we, we asked the Lord for provision and we built that dormitory out the back. That dormitory was finished in 2013. There's now 100 girls in it. There's now there's 100 pupils go to college now from VISP every year. Um, and again, if you ask me how that's been done, I couldn't tell you, but it's been done. And it's been done and the Lord's provided for it. And 25% of that is girls, which is wonderful. Since they've got into that dormitory, their grades have gone up. They're studying in an in a, in a environment of study. When I asked the girls who got into that dormitory, what did they like about it? It surprised me they said we're safe. Most of those girls at night time in Kenya, when they walk back and forth from school, have all faced a form of assault of some sort. They've lived with a lot of fear. This is what happens with girls, and this is what happens to a lot of Kenyan pupils, including some VISPA pupils of COVID, when they're not in that school environment of safety. And the chap mentioned it this morning in Mission Africa. They hang around the villages. They're asked to look after younger brothers and sisters. Their, their mothers are maybe ill, their grandmothers are ill. They're, they're, they're asked to help, whereas the fellas are allowed to go out and about, the girls are expected to stay at home. You'll get some older fellas will drive around the motorbikes, befriend some of the girls, be nice to them, give them a wee bit of money for their mum and dad or for their mum at home. The girls think they're doing a good thing. That relationship develops a bit. Things don't go so well. The fella disappears. Girls left at home, maybe with a baby. Feels a bit embarrassed, feels shame. They withdraw from society. Kenya's a funny place, you know, those homes we visit, it's a rural community, full of homes. It looks quite picturesque. It's not like a, a, a poverty in a city where it's a slum, where it's built in. Rural poverty in Kenya, it's spread out, it looks lovely. But each individual house, for many of them, is a trap. When those girls suffer, they just go home look after a child, you see it in their eyes, all their hopes, their ambitions, they just drain out of them. What Helen does, and she's great at it, she'll go around those homes. She'll say, look, come, we'll look after the child, we'll work out a programme with you, we'll look after the child, we'll look after the home, get you back into college, get you back into school. Um, work in those areas, it's always messy. It's never clean and neat. It's always difficult. We've had a lot of the boys involved in crime, involved in stealing, because again, they've nothing. They've nothing. The temptations and pressures on them are much more than we, could, we would experience. And if we were in the same situation, dear knows what we would be like, to be honest. So university has been a blessing. There's 100 at college and university, and a lot of them come back to Vispa and teach, and their role models and their... Um, Again, they're evidence that God's faithful to me. They're evidence that God's faithful. <coughs> Kenyan government introduced a new thing this year about junior schools, which is a good idea, um, competency-based curriculum, where it's like technical college for children that aren't so academically bright. With the left school, they keep them in school now and teach them practical skills, which is a very good thing. But the school had to get ready for that so it could still be accepted. And again, the Lord provided for that this year. You see the nice new uniforms. They've, they've uh, introduced poultry farming, and that's really worked well. Um, that was one of the girls who came out in the team this year with Visha Villa.
Uh, our teams go out every year still. Our teams are so important just so the children feel that we, we want to be there. They don't feel alone. They feel it's a partnership. They really enjoy it. It's a time for them to relax a wee bit and feel the world's coming to them. And again, they're not forgotten. And thank you so for so many here who are in the teams. You've been such a, a blessing to those children. Thank you. And we, we have an eye clinic, which we run every year. And that eye clinic, I'm not going to run on now. I'm going to stop in a wee minute. But that eye clinic has been a great example of God's hand in shaping circumstances where James Wiley's wife said to me, I asked her about medical things. I've told this before. She said, you don't need medical things for you'll not be able to continue it. You need somebody that'll do an optician that'll go out and look, or uh, an ophthalmologist that'll go out and be able to give you glasses for you can fix the problem immediately, which was great. Gillian went in with wee Matthew about the next week into Specsavers, get chatting to this girl, oh, sorry, to Jill here. Jill, unbeknownst to us, uh, worked in Specsavers for years, have been praying, Lord, give me something to do. Give me something to do. I want something to do. I feel I haven't been working for you. I haven't been giving you enough in my life. Give me something to do. Jillian landed in and said, have you any spare glasses? We're thinking of taking them out to Kenya. Jill came out to our house. Just has been a fantastic blessing. A fantastic blessing. And this man here, Dr. Julius, he's not a Christian. He's a very good man. Very good man. This man is a very skilled surgeon. But he's coming along with him and he's fantastic. He's been really great. That's been going on the past five or six years. The community, that's the community coming to get glasses. They'll come from everywhere. They'll dress up in their Sunday best. Many of those people, their eyesight's so bad and getting glasses is a real privilege, as you know. Thank you so much for those that have given glasses. Some of the people that got glasses. Wonderful. This year, when we were there, we usually identify people with cataracts and then there's operations the next month or so when we came home. But these two chaps had glaucoma. And Jill came to us, she said, those chaps will go blind if they're not operated on pre pretty quickly. So you'll see Dr. Ian McNeil there in the middle. But I asked Julius, Julius, can we get operate on those? So he said yes. So we went down and Jill, Ian went with Jill and they operated and these two gentlemen. And there was a lady too. And they're, they're worried, you know, it's an anxious time. They're never in a hospital. And they got operated. There's other pictures I'll not show you. But uh, they operated on and let Ian and Jill take part. Ian actually came home. I don't know if Ian's here, but Ian told me I could have a go at them, you know. <laughs> he said, next year, if, if there's a lot of them, he said, I probably could do them. Um, you see those ladies, when they got operated on, their first reactions, just thank God. Their operation, the treatment, you know, it's something they're not expected to have. They're not, they're, they're, they weren't, uh, it's beyond their dreams to get that, you know. Uh, and every one of them, when they're operated on and they come up, their first reaction, unprompted, thank you, God. Praise the Lord for that. Their families come, bring them home. Why I put that picture up? That lady there, I don't know what age she is. I, I think that lady's near 60. She got operated on. Why I put that up there? That lady, Helen told me that lady was very nervous for a lot of reasons getting operated on, but secondly, she had never been in a bed before. This was the first time she was stayed in a bed in 50, 60 years. Her bed at home would be a reed mat, you know, on the floor. 
from she was born. And, but when she was in, she told Helen just about the bed. She'd never stayed in the bed before. That, that we thought has just stuck with me. You know, we, we can complicate things a bit. And everything I've talked about there tonight, about you know, what we expect for ourselves, what we expect for others. There's a danger we can see that and think, well, that lady's happy enough, not having slept in the bed. That's not right. That lady loved the comfort of that bed. Do you know? Yes, they might toughen themselves up, but that lady liked that. You know, what would we expect for ourselves? What standard, if the Lord puts that in Scripture, the, the, the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets are summed up by that phrase, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's not something to skim over. That's something for all of us to ponder, to think about. And you see that with Jill Homestead asking the Lord, Lord, what would you have me do? See, you do it in your quiet time. What would you have me do? The Lord, the Lord will answer you. The Lord will answer you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much just for your goodness you're a god beyond our expectations lord and lord i pray you would waken us and waken us softener soften our hearts lord but give us minds that are tough that can think that can grasp your word grasp who you are grasp your characteristics that we would strive to be like you lord we would strive to understand what scripture says you're like I know that's the standard. We, we should be like that. If we're going to spend eternity in your presence, Lord, we need to know who you are and what you're like and what, you, what your expectations are. And we need to be striving for that, Lord. And Lord, I thank you that you're gracious and you're patient with us. Um, but help us do that, Lord, for we're not able. We're not able to think these things through sometimes. I ask us all that we would come to you and openness and, and prayerfully and ask you, Lord, have your will in our life. Have your will in our life. And bless those people in Kenya. Lord, for we have shared snippets there and there's thousands in Kenya. There's thousands in India. There's thousands in sub-Saharan Africa. There's people in our, own, in our own land, Lord, with some of these issues. May we be people that are, it's not just words with us ever. It's actions. It's our whole life. And we demonstrate evidence of a God who loves those who are lost. Lord, just please come and be with us and help us with these things. In Jesus' name, amen.